Hello, and welcome to Going Rounds, the official podcast of Gusto, a matter company. I'm Jeanette Harris-Quartz, podcast producer at Gusto and host of this podcast. Today, we've got a very special episode coming to you all in the form of Going Rounds with. Now, this episode's going to come to you in two parts, so make sure you keep yourselves subscribed that you can get alerts for when the second one drops. But today, we're talking to the one and only Jay Aconzo. For those unfamiliar, Going Rounds With features people outside of Gusto we admire and who inspire us to continue championing great work on behalf of our clients. And for this episode, we had the pleasure of inviting Jay to our studio offices in Newburyport for an in-person chat with senior producer Gabe Kurzon about how to break free of the production cliches we all know and to spark meaningful conversations going forward. But enough from me, let's get into the conversation, shall we? Take it away, Gabe. All right, Jay, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Thanks coming for having up me. to our studio. This is amazing. Appreciate it, Thank man. you. I'm curious how you succinctly introduce yourself to other marketers in a way that sort of gets their attention and interest. I, I usually say, hi, I'm Jay. Okay, it's, that works. Yeah. yeah, and it's nice and succinct because it's just three letters, but if you want, it can be one in your head. Yeah. So I, I can't get much more succinct than that. No, that, I, like, but I guess their attention? Not at all, <laughs> no. You know how many, I was literally at an event in Cleveland, Creator Economy Expo from Joe Polizzi. There were three Js who spoke before lunch. We were JA, JB, and JC. Akonzo, Bear, and Klaus. Wow. So yeah, no, saying I'm Jay does not get anyone's attention at all. I, I think when you, you're asked to tell anyone about yourself, professionally, you have two choices. You can make it about you or you can make it about the thing you're there to say. Mm. And that is true of all personal stories, not like my story, but little stories, metaphors, allegories even pulled from your life. It's not about you. It's about the audience. So when someone asks you, what about you? The cliche answer is, oh, I help X do Y, which isn't bad. I think it's just kind of become trite, right? Like I help creators make things that matter, which is a way I might say it. Um, or if I'm in a crowd that doesn't understand what the heck we do, I'm a writer and a podcaster. And honestly, that feels like a personal victory to introduce myself as a writer and a podcaster, because for years being in-house in marketing, even working for companies as well known as like a Google or a HubSpot or an ESPN, it took me a while to just say, I am a writer. I am a podcaster. Cause it felt like, well, who am I to say that I do this work? Right. And I think anyone who's doing similar work if you find yourself couching it and start coming out and saying it, not only does it open up a dialogue because people go, what do you write about? What do you podcast about? But it also does something internally to you. It like gives you a posture of a professional storyteller, of a yeah, professional I am this thing. I yeah. am this thing, yeah, right? Yeah. And so I think you can, if you can accept that about yourself, I think it does transform your work in a really great way. Yeah, so at Gusto, we're big proponents of the brand affinity marketing uh, approach that mm -hmm. I know you really pioneer. And um, well, first of all, where did that, come from? Did you coin it? Did you co-opt it? Where exactly does brand affinity marketing come the from? And phrase, can you define it for us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The phrase, I think, the first time I heard it phrased that way was yeah. from Chris Savage, CEO of Wistia. Right. So he and I have known each other for a while. They were really pushing forward in that way, like shows, video, of course, that's what Wistia does. All of these like longer form, more immersive experiences that put the human at the center. But the idea uh, that they were talking about had a lot more to do with your overall brand, right? Like the corporate entity. 
but affinity is a very human term. It's a one-to-one thing. Like my favorite summary of storytelling, which I think is the best vehicle to establish affinity, is from author Kazuo Ishiguro. So he won the Nobel Prize in 2017. Everyone should check out his acceptance speech. It is profound. But there's this one little nugget inside of it that, even though he didn't know it, kind of sums up our work, um, which is that stories are like one person saying to another, this is how it feels to me. Can you understand what I'm saying? Does it also feel this way to you? So there's clarity and there's connection. Do you understand what I'm saying? If not, we have a problem. I got to adjust that. That's really hard. But crucial to our mission is, does it also feel this way to you? Like that emotional connection or that resonance, which is the word I like to use in lieu of affinity, because affinity is a little jargony. Um, that's everything. Like awareness is a proxy. Like it's a stand-in for what we actually want, which is affinity. Um, no amount of awareness, no amount of reach will guarantee that you're resonating, will guarantee that people feel affinity. And I am very aware of a lot of people and a lot of companies that I'd never buy from. What good is their awareness for me? Nothing. Right. So it's a very inefficient approach to just think all the time about awareness. Affinity is much more like, do they like and trust me? Not just know me, like and trust me. Am I inspiring reflection in their minds and action in their lives? At the core, it's about resonance, not reach. And that's what our jobs are. Right. And that involves doing stuff that's actually difficult for brands to execute sustainably, which is care (laughs) and have a conversation. Yeah, maybe. You know? Yeah. It, but yeah. it's really not that hard, I guess, is what you'd probably say. It's just a, a mindset shift, right? So how, right? What, yeah, what is so different about this approach than traditional marketing? Why is it so hard to sort of wrap for brands to not just yeah. wrap their head around it, but practice it in a sustainable, creative way? I think the important part is to define what the heck this nebulous notion of resonance mm-hmm. is. Or, you know, we talked affinity, but resonance can be equally like to some maybe jargon-filled or confusing yeah. or, you know, I know what reach looks like. What does resonance look like? How do you right? measure it? Yeah. So resonance I define as this urge to act that someone feels when your message or a moment spent with you aligns so closely with their lived experience that their thoughts, feelings, and even abilities feel amplified. So just to dissect that quickly, it starts with alignment. Like when I communicate with you or when you bump up against my work, I had a friend of mine say this to me, Jay, when I enter your atmosphere, it's like I can take a deep breath. And I was like, that's it. Mm. Like when someone enters your atmosphere, can they breathe or do they start to choke on what it is you're offering? And that's useful friction. Some people shouldn't be able to breathe when they enter your atmosphere because it's like, you know what? You're not for me. You're a bad prospect. We're misaligned. Even if you got further down the proverbial funnel, it would have been a, a wasted effort on both parts. So as soon as I bump up against your work, or as soon as I hear from you, am I throwing up my hands going, yes, this, I feel seen, you're speaking to my soul? Or am I going, ah, yes, I can breathe. This makes sense. This is aligned with me. I found my people. That alignment is where it starts all the time. And from there, you feel amplified. You're like so excited. I mean, a good example is a podcast premise. Before I listen, if I read about it, if I encounter the name, see the artwork, read a description, and it's the premise, not the topics, the premise. Then I might say, oh my gosh, this is so for me. And I might go tell five friends even before I hit play once because look, look at what the show is about. It's for us. So again, like, res- we've been saying this show should exist. Right. Here it is. I can't believe they made yeah. a show like this yeah. about this for us, right? Yeah. So I feel seen is, a, is a, probably one of the best reactions you can possibly get from an audience as a signal of resonance. 
But if you don't have resonance, you don't spark action. If you don't spark action, you don't have results. So I just wanted to take a moment to define what this is because I love the philosophy of creativity. I love everything emotional about this work. If you're talking to someone who is purely a cold, hard capitalist or somebody who is feeling the pressure of delivering some kind of financial related metric, they may lose sight of that. It is good for business. It is how business happens to resonate with somebody else. It is not enough to reach them. Um, why do you think long form content and brand resonance or brand affinity go so hand in hand? I think if you're offering something that requires a high time investment from others, what you're trying to say to yourself and your team or your collaborators or agency, whoever's working with it is, so this will be long form in your words, which means the object is not to grab attention. The object is to hold attention. And we're really, really bad at that typically in marketing. We're especially, you know, I come from the independent creator world, world of freelancers and podcasters and writers and speakers and authors and YouTubers. And a lot of these people with the whole creator economy movement, they're kind of retreading the same steps that a lot of content marketers were treading in like 2010, 2011, 2012, which is everyone is obsessed over the gimmicks and the algorithm gaming to grab attention. Might be necessary, but that is insufficient. That's like trying to walk away from some event, having made new friends. And so what you do is you obsess over the perfect handshake. It's got to be this form. It's got to be this thing. And here's this handshake hack that this influencer, this handshake influencer taught me. And I'm <laughs> just going to obsess over. And I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, this is, yeah, shake their hand. But then everything that happens after that is A, the bulk of it, and B, really what determines how this goes for you. So yeah. we're so obsessed with grabbing attention. We're so obsessed with reach. We're so obsessed with awareness. We're losing sight of the fact that it's not about who arrives. It's about who stays. So long form content is one way, and it is just one way to say, I'm going to get you to the end. I'm going to give you something that is worth your time investment. And every decision I make along the way is to obey that golden rule as a creative and a storyteller. Get them to the end. We're awful at that. We're so good, or at least so obsessed with, get them to start, get them to look our way, get eyeballs, get reach. And I'm telling you, the more you focus on that, the less time and energy you have spent on actually taking people who are already aware of you vaguely, or maybe even like you or trust you, and turning them into super fans who then evangelize you to all these net new people that you're bending over backwards and trying to reach. They will evangelize you to those people for free. I mean, who doesn't want that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's talk about how you create those evangelists through a, yeah. a, a show, right? So mm -hmm. you kind of alluded to how critical, a, a unique, or like eye-catching premise is. So yeah. we're, we're big proponents of when we're leading our clients through, whether it be podcast or video series, uh, those three pillars, right? The, uh, the format of your show, is it a one-on-one -on -one show? Is it a round table? The talent, you know, who is manifesting the format into the premise, yes. which is what your show is about and yes. how you're exploring it, right? right? And I think, especially for first-time show uh, participants of a show at a brand, it's best to probably not screw around too much with the format and the talent. You know, there's, there's a lot of tried and true approaches there, like to take Hot Ones. Hot Ones is a <laughs> celebrity interview show, yeah. which has been done since, uh, what, maybe the 1940s? <laughs> but it's the premise <laughs> that is a unique twist on it, right? Remember so, 1940s YouTube? Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but talk to you about how you sort of lead brands or marketers through the process of arriving at a premise that yeah. is 
actually unique and and resonant and and grabs sure. their attention. It's funny. It feels like one of those things that's like it's part of the code of the matrix of making a show that a lot of people for some reason don't see, which is you need a premise, which yeah. is not like the name of the show. Maybe that's built on top of the premise. Maybe. Then again, how important is the name? I mean, the Beatles, if you really think about it, is a really stupid pun. Yeah. Right? You make music. Beat. There's a bug called the Beatle. Like, come on. Really? Yeah. So the name, yeah, it matters to a degree. The premise is not the topics. It's not the name. It is the specific defensible purpose to your show, which should be pulled from your personal vision for your audience. So if you're not sure if your premise is resonating with others, there's ways to test it, but it starts internally, which is just those pieces of that definition, specific, defensible, pulled from your personal vision for your audience. So interrogate that definition a bit, specific. Most shows aren't beloved. They aren't resonant. They aren't differentiated. I like to say that the goal is actually not to be the best. It's to be their favorite because if another show comes along and it might not be a competitor, it might be, I found a great new music show. I already listened to 16 podcasts. Where am I going to fit it? This one drops. Don't be that one. And it might be the one about marketing. It might be the one about sales. It might be the one about housekeeping or who knows. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean it's direct topical competitors that cause your show to drop out of someone's life. So don't be the best. Be their favorite, mm -hmm. their personal preferred pick for a specific purpose. So what's your specific purpose? Is it specific enough? Most shows are too generic. They're no one's favorite. They feel excruciating to listen to, even if there's goodness in it. Right. They feel forgettable because... Maybe this was useful, but I could get this anywhere, and uh, you happen to be anywhere. And the only way to win that game is you rank first, shout louder, go viral, right? Not sustainable strategies in most cases, and also incredibly expensive and inefficient. It's because I can get it anywhere, you're anywhere, you better reach me first before everyone else does, because everyone else is offering the same thing in your space. So are you specific enough? The next question, are you defensible? So you might be specific in your idea for the show, is it defensible? Can you own that outright? Mm -hmm. It's fully yours. So I want to use one of the most boring examples I can because it's also one of the best examples I've ever encountered. Sadly, this company was acquired and the show and the brand went away. But there was a brief moment in time where a miracle happened in B2B. Lessonly, which sold learning and development software to sales teams. If you want to train your salespeople, you train them on Lessonly's tools or you did. They created a podcast called Practice First. Here's why. The third piece of that definition, specific, defensible, pulled from your personal vision for your audience. The personal vision or the team vision that Leslie had was that sales is a craft. Sales is not the gift of gab. It's not about a script. There's no hack. It is about your practice. Do you treat it like a craft? Do you practice it and get better? We have tools for that, by the way. So they believed in that. They talked to their sales team at Leslie. Sure enough, if the word practice came up with sales calls, they closed faster. They were better customers. They looked at their product data. There's a whole suite of tools there that was labeled practice. If you adopted those tools, you were more likely to be a loyal customer, right? So higher LTV. Okay, so the data vets this out. Our opinion, our vision as leaders also vets this out. We want to help people in sales approach it like a craft and practice, right? We could create a podcast just interviewing sales leaders. Right. That would be Just the like everybody else, yeah. right? In Everyone's celebrating the launch of their new brand show where we go really in-depth. It's a podcast. Yeah. In deep depth. dive. Right. We deep dive. Yeah. Raw and unfiltered, which is amateur code for bad and unedited. And no pre-production. Yeah. Bad and unedited. If someone says raw and unfiltered, yeah. run. Because what they're really saying is it's bad and unedited. And we dive deep. Is it a podcast? Cool. Yeah. That's what they do. We actually get the real 
These are all comparative terms. It's not specific and defensible enough. There's no personal vision. Leslie said, we have a vision. Sales needs to practice better. So we are going to create a show called Practice First, where we talk to world-class performers in every domain, including but not limited to sales and business, sommeliers, Olympians, et cetera. We're going to learn about how they practice, and then we're going to help you translate what we're hearing back to your world of sales so you can be a world-class practicer, so you can be a world-class performer. That is specific. It's practice-based in sales, not generic. It's meandering bunch of topics, kind of like a blog, but audio. It's not generic. It's specific. It's also defensible because no one else was doing that. No one else was saying that. They can own that idea outright as IP, as brand IP in the market. It's theirs. If someone else stepped to their corner, they'd be laughed off the block because that was their corner for a time. So it's specific, it's defensible, and it's pulled from their personal vision for the audience. We believe that the key to success is to go to that mountain peak, not the rest of it. And some might approach and go, just give me the secret. Just give me the script. Just let me know what intrinsic trait I need to exercise or that's actually practice so let's remove that example but let me know what hack like yeah Yeah. what hack can i create or add that lets me unlock more pipeline for my business and leslie would go no none of the above you need to practice that's our vision if you want to succeed we want to lead you over there and some people might go no thank you and demographically i'm in your audience but psychographically i disagree with you now no prospect ever has said those words but that's how you think as a marketer yeah yeah and so That's where it begins. Do you have a premise? Do you have a specific, defensible purpose to the show, which is pulled from your personal vision or your team's vision, your brand vision for your audience? Most shows, nope. They're just grabbing at topics. It's all talking topics with experts. Yeah. Not good enough. Yeah. I think many marketers also struggle with the question of like how much promotional, you know, material to include in their podcast or video series or whatever. Right. So how, how can brands strike that right balance by providing you know value to their audience but also it's kind of what we said before it's the with a side of and by the way we do this but yeah yeah, i'm wondering how you uh sort of think about that challenge i have a metric i use that i made up entirely because coming out of marketing as i have if it's not an acronym apparently it doesn't exist as a metric Mm -hmm. right right so the metric is urr urr unsolicited response rate Mm. so here's what i want I want to know that I'm shipping something that resonates. I want to know that I'm shipping something that could create a super fan out of someone who is actively in my audience, but not loyal and not vocal and not taking actions that benefit both me and them. If something else came along that resembled me or something in a different domain came along and they had to drop something else to save time and make up time, I would not be on the chopping block because they're loyal and even more so they're super fans or passionate about what I do. I want to know I'm on the path to that. So I need signal. The way we measure signal when we test things as marketers is we just tend to think about big metrics. Look at that hit that went, that, if it didn't, if I can't cite a million plus to a boss, a client, a stakeholder, I feel like as marketers, we're always like, this could have been better. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like what we want is to say the word million associated with the audience. Like, even if that has no bearing on the business, put that aside. You want signal that it's worth continuing, that it's worth, worth investing further. So what I want to know is that I get an unsolicited response. And if I get more from something, I'm like, great, I can invest with confidence in this idea, not just repurposing the content, but extending it like IP. Okay, this worked in a podcast. Do I need an associated newsletter? Okay, this worked in this article. Everywhere I show up when I'm being interviewed by the great folks at Gusto, I'm going to bring that story up and improve it even more so. It's like being a stand-up comic. You're taking your act on the road. Right, right. Um, 
And so the way I measure that is the unsolicited part reigns supreme. In my newsletter, in my podcast, in my speaking, in the membership group that I run, in my one-to-one coaching, in all of these vehicles where I'm sharing ideas and stories, when I share something with you, do you feel so compelled to respond that you do? And you represent a larger group of people that didn't respond because that's not their way. Right. So it's not that oh, only two people. It's the two people representative of more. But I don't want to game that. I don't want to be the YouTuber that goes, what do you think is the next technology to disrupt marketing? Drop a comment and let me know. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be the person posting to LinkedIn. Like I've collected my 10 biggest templates, most successful, most used templates for creating amazing podcasts as marketers. If you want this collection, drop a comment that says want. I don't want to do that. I want to have this purity of data. I want to have an insight I can extract from that data. The purity of data is I made this thing. Did it compel you? And if you go, oh my gosh, yeah. Like my newsletter goes out to thousands of people and all I want every week is to get my two. I say in my head, I want to get my two. Mm. My two means two people wrote with passion about what I had to say. That's enough for me. That is signal. I'm like the guy with a metal detector on the beach. I'm looking for gold too, just like you. But instead of digging a bunch of holes frenetically all across the sand or whacking this metal detector angrily that nothing is happening and I'm not finding anything, all I want is not gold. I want the beep. Because then that lets me know, aha, this might be the place. This might be it. Like I should invest with confidence and dig down deeper here. So you are our unsolicited response rate. If you are not getting that, the temptation is to turn the screws. You mentioned promotion. That's when that happens. Mm -hmm. You're either not seeing it elsewhere. You're scared that you won't see it. So you start to go, well, we need a pre-roll and post-roll and maybe even a mid-roll talking about ourselves, right? Or if you create something that helps these people adore you and your voice and your ideas, what you stand for, your brand, everything about you, they should feel compelled to reach out to you. But if you don't see that, you don't have a reach problem. You have a resonance problem, right? Don't promote more. You need to tweak your product more. It's a product problem, not a marketing problem. So you need to measure URR, not as final success, but as a, a sense that like I'm on the right path. And how do you suggest brand marketers sort of track and collect those URRs and present them in a way that's resonant for their, their C-suite, the yep. people who are deciding whether their show continues totally. or if they keep their job? I'm sipping some water <laughs> because you've got me on my soapbox. Yeah, that's where we want Because this is one of the things that drives me bananas about marketers. It doesn't matter where you sit. You could be a brand marketer, you could be a product marketer, you're a marketer, you're a communicator, you're a storyteller. You're an evangelist of ideas. Why does that stop the moment you turn inward and talk to mm -hmm. an internal stakeholder or an executive? Why, when you know how to tell a story that inspires an audience, do you then go to your biggest stakeholder, maybe the boss holding your creativity back who doubts the efficacy of the new podcast? Why do you then just go chart, 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 data, 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 number, number, number? You just got five people to say incredible things about your show and you mean to tell me you're not using those as mini stories or bones of a story you tell to your boss? What are you doing? Like the point isn't to put a number on something. The point is to, to extract an insight from data. And by the way, data doesn't mean numbers. Data means information stored for later use. Mm. One type of which, statistics, right? If you really want to be data informed, I don't like data led. I think we should be intuition led. 
and, and course correct with data. But if you want to use data in how you communicate with others and you're only looking at statistics, you're limiting yourself in two ways. You're relying on whatever platform you happen to purchase or use and the data that their engineers decided was worth you actually seeing. And you're also limiting yourself because you're not looking at other types of data like qualitative feedback, like surveying your audience. So the number one thing we have to remember is we, our storytellers, tell stories everywhere. And if you're looking for an example of why we should be doing this, look no further than someone you would think doesn't actually, actually think like a marketer, which is Ira Glass, creator of This American Life. The, the part of his story he's never asked, and there's a great show called Shameless Acquisition Targets, the name of the show, very meta journey. Gotta watch that. Laura Mayer, the host of this show, was trying to get her show acquired. It was a tongue-in-cheek journey yeah. to get the show she was hosting acquired and cash in on the podcast, boom. Wink, wink. Yeah. Wink, wink. She came out of NYC, WNYC Studios, and has worked in public radio. And So Shameless Acquisition Targets, she interviewed Ira Glass, and she asked about his business, and he goes, thank you. This American Life, in his mind, he goes, it's not just a creative success. It's a business success. When he got picked up at all these stations early on, the story, the legend is, he revolutionized creativity. He revolutionized storytelling and audio. The reality is, as he said to Lara on that show, I told them, if you pick me up, you will make more money. Because they were applying their storytelling. They knew what the audience wanted, in this case, the person running programming at a local radio station, and they framed their story accordingly. Then they, they trained their storytelling chops on the ad spots. These were like the donation drives, not mm -hmm. so much about a brand, but about like, hey, it's a public radio station, donate, you know, receive right. a tote bag kind of thing. They create all these quirky, whimsical, narrative, immersive ad spots because most were boring, he said. So what he did and what his team did early on is in sales and marketing interactions, they remained storytellers. They used their creativity to advance their cause. And I don't know why as marketers, as hosts, as creators and creatives, we don't do that. We're like trying to have a conversation with someone who thinks in data by talking in numbers. But you're a storyteller. So you need to communicate that way and have numbers imbued into it or pull something out of the numbers. Like don't stop being creative and being a storyteller just because it doesn't look like your core thing. Remain who you are. Use what you have. It's an unfair advantage that others would die for. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And that's not what you would have expected Ira Glass to say. No. But it just shows he's, I guess, to use the phrase code switching and, um, you know, changing his communication style to who's in front of him to deliver results and get what he wants, which is his show picked up. Right? Well, it's not so much that he changed his communication style. I think what he actually just was aware of, just like any good storyteller, is what does the audience want? Yeah. Where are they at? I have to meet them there and then walk them like every step of the way to where I want them to be. And I think as a, like a keynote speaker for like three years, my main business was being on the road and speaking. And it's almost like being a road comic in many ways. Like you put material to the test and you have to tweak it because you're giving the same speech customized to each audience, but it's got the same through line and yeah. a couple stories, et cetera. And so what you learn is when you leap too far ahead and lose the audience, the little moments get worse too. Like they're not laughing as hard or whatever. And so... Your temptation, just like, you know, being a speaker, trying to pitch an idea internally, it's all the same is you're so close to it. You're so convinced it's your idea. And maybe it even happened instantly in your mind that you don't realize others have not been on the journey that you've been on. So immediately when you just share your ideas, you create this information divide between them and you, and they try to close it on their own using assumptions they're making, which is really dangerous 
because they, they haven't seen what you've seen. They don't do what you do. They don't have your skills, your beliefs, your lived experience. You have to walk them every step. So where it starts, as it did with Ira Glass, don't pick us up because we're super creative. Pick us up because we'll make you more money. He started at the goal that they had. So if you're talking to an executive internally, that's where you start too. You go, okay, so you know the goal we have. And this is true if you're given a keynote or if you're having a pitch meeting. You know this, we have this goal, right? Yes. Cool. And we're already trying to reach it. Here's how we're trying to reach it. Yes. So right, out, right away, you have goal, status quo. All you're doing is acknowledging. Again, aligning first to resonate later. Okay, I see that you have my best interests at heart. So we have this goal. We're coming at it this way. Here's some problems with the status quo approach, right? In Ira Glass's case, we're trying to raise money from donors. Yep. And we're running these like promotional spots to do so that the hosts read. Yep. Here's the problem with that. The material from the host that's their show is amazing. The material that's the donation drive is dry and terrible, right? Like, and here's some other problems. So you say, I know you're already trying to get somewhere and I know we're already pretty much moving in that direction if it's tripping us up a little bit. I'm acknowledging where you're starting and what you want. And then I'm pointing out something is broken. Maybe we're moving too slow. Maybe we're moving backwards. Maybe the competition is outstripping us. I mean, fear is one way to talk to an executive. We're losing traction and losing our market share. Okay, given the problems with the status quo then, here's what I would consider doing. And then you reveal this hidden truth of yours. What if we could create something that caused these listeners to respond to the donation drives the same way they respond to our stories with passion, vocally. They become fans of the actual spots and take an action as a result. What if we could do that? Here's how I'd come at it. Or here's what it looks like. And you throw up an example. So if you want to get this goal and we're aware that the current approach is broken, consider this change, this innovation, this creative project, this new podcast that I'm pitching you. And here's how to get it done. Here's what it'll take. Here's a methodology, et cetera. I've started to scope the commitment to. Let's have a conversation. I'm not looking for the yes. I'm looking for the conversation. I've laid out my ingredients on the table, which makes me vulnerable. And I want to enroll you as a co-founder of this idea. Let's talk about it. And if right away you're like, no, I can say, okay, where did I miss here? I can be productive and objective instead of me versus you. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, okay, this ingredient over here. I don't love the mango. Can we get, no problem. Get rid of the mango. Or let's talk about why the mango matters, right? I'm laying it all out to you. I'm opening myself up to critique, but it's on the board objectively. And we're shoulder to shoulder trying to solve a problem. That's what Hourglass was doing. That's what we should be doing internally too. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Going Grounds. I hope you all feel like you've learned, well, I hope and know that you all have learned a lot more about writing and production and who Jay is. Thank you so much for joining us, Jay. This was such a special, special interview. And if you didn't get enough and you want a little bit more, you can go and find this recording on our YouTube channel if you'd like to see the video component as well. And if you ever want to talk to anybody at Gusto, don't be a stranger. Email us at hello at letsgusto.com. We can't wait to bring you more perspectives from our staff and other creatives that inspire us. Until then, bye!